This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spodcast, Season 4, Episode 43. My name is Tim Etry. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm watching the Leaf game. And I'm also joined by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Who is also watching the Leaf game. Go Leafs, go! And uh, we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Who's not watching the Leaf game? It's going, Leaf, going. Going, Leaf, going. I haven't seen a score. Oh, look, they just bumped the goalie. Alrighty, let's try and concentrate on this uh, this episode here. We'll start off with some fact check. Um, yeah, I mentioned Mabel. This is Mabel? No, Majel. <laughs> I know it. I know, but this is spell, spell check, right? Majel Barrett, uh, as I mentioned last week, was the computer voice on uh, one of the Star Treks I mentioned. But in fact, I just wanted to correct and say that she, in case people are throwing their phones out the window, she was also the computer voice on the original series, the animated series, TNG, movies, she also was the voice in the the most of the movies, uh, the Star Trek movies as well. I mean, the original cast movies, and I, I assume um, uh, Deep Space Nine, or sorry, not Deep Space Nine, TNG movies. Uh, a lot of video games as well. She was also the voice on DS Nine, Voyager, New Voyages, which apparently I guess is sort of canon. Maybe I don't know. I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. But uh, Enterprise, and uh, she was also the voice in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. And additionally, she also played the computer voice on Family Guy. Cool. There you go. Yeah. And uh, the, another people we were talking about Rogers PVRs. Jaime was asking us about that, and I think I've mentioned this before. But 2 a.m. is when Rogers updates the uh, the schedule on your television. So on the day that you're watching TV, you cannot go to you can't go eight days into the future and see what is on that same day on the same channel. You have to wait till past 2 a.m. to be able to see what's going to be coming up. So you can't see beyond seven days in the future on your Rogers P- PVR thingies, whatever. It's funny that they did that, even though they've they've got that for the because um, now it's all internet based, right? The Rogers Ignite stuff and everything. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still using the older the older technology Next or whatever it's called, Next Box or something. But yeah, it's been a. It used to be that when I was watching TV at two o'clock in the morning, my my PVR would would reset, and I'm like, what? You know? Oh, I remember that because I used to work the night shift, and I would come home and sit down and start watching TV while I had a bite to eat before I went to bed, and it would start doing a reboot that would take fifteen minutes, yeah. and I would start yeah. screaming at it. Yeah, used to, well, these people used to be able to manage your PVRs with an app, and they they got rid of that too, which is like it's like they've gone back in time. I don't know. Well, because they're trying to convince everybody to to sign over to the new the Rogers Ignite stuff, right? Because it's cheaper and it's easier for them. Yeah, well, I mean, basically for me, and I think I mentioned this. I can't remember where I mentioned this before, but um, the minute we switch over to um, an internet based cable system, if you want to call it that, I will switch to Bell because. First of all, I dislike Rogers a lot, and um, yeah, why would I? Why would I? You know, I, I, I'm enjoying the Bell Five system much better. It's you know, it, it costs me way less than Rogers, and I get to watch pretty much most of the t- channels I want to watch, right? Yeah. So, yeah. They, I mean, they, they they basically gouge you. Like if you just want to have, you can't like have, you can't pick and choose the channels you want. You have to get these packages, and the packages just end up like I don't watch sports other than you know this Leaf game. And this is on. The I, I find them all the same. I mean, I've gone back and forth and compared them and looked at all the different options and everything else. And I've stayed with Rogers because it really is six to one, half dozen to the other. And frankly, I do. I have the same feelings about Bell that you do about Rogers because Bell actually. Uh, 
tried to, they took a bunch of extra money from us when we transferred, when we moved houses. They tried to like yeah. gouge us and then they fought us to get the money back. And so that left me with a very sour taste. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're all, like you said, they're all the same. They're all the same. I mean, like I've, I've, I've used Bell internet for years and years and years and years and years and years. I mean, I, I used it before it was even called Bell. So, Simpatico. No, it was called something netcom.ca or something like that. Oh, I thought something. there was Simpatico. Simpatico was the second name. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we were living in Oakville, that's what, we were, that's what my internet was. It was, the di- it was a dial-up thing, and it was netcam and a netcom or something. I can't remember what it was called. Anywho, um, and uh, I don't I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Gia Sandu uh, was, is from Kim's Convenience. She played a character named Marlo, played Tpring in last week's episode of Strange New World. This is the part where I sheepishly admit that I've only seen it in a very small amount of Kim's Convenience. Yes, that's okay. Yeah, I haven't um, seen the final season. Did she come out in the previous four? Because uh, she I didn't she's... ring a bell from the face. I think she's from, um, you know, the the daughter works in a con, in a uh, community center. I think that that's where the character comes from. Yeah. She looks I'd, I'd, gorgeous I'd, I'd when she's wearing the whole the whole Vulcan mm-hmm. outfit as to Pring. Yeah, yeah. But just, just pointing out Canada's own, you know, yes, I do. There you go. From Kim's Convenience. Well, it's filmed here, so I'm sure they do have uh, as as uh, was it what Jaime? What's the rule? The Canadian content rule? Yeah, it's like yeah. that Lieutenant Tax Cut. You know that I like to to bring up as a as an example for some of these things. Yeah, and, and cadet uh, government grant. Yeah, or grant government. Um, yeah. So uh, this, last week you made a comment about the bridge, and uh, I remember I had a I have it here somewhere. It's a QuickTime VR of the Enterprise from um, is that Enterprise D on the Next Generation? Yep. Yes. Um, and on it, they have like they had all these virtual tours before they try. They actually trashed the set when they when they crashed when when uh, unfortunately uh, um, Troy trashes the plant <laughs> trashes the ship. Ah, the one God time, damn it! That, she had one job. Anyway, so so uh, uh, it's funny. A friend of mine um, just retired uh, after fifty five years working for this one company, and I'm like, you had one job. Anyway, anyway. Um, Think about it. You'll get the joke in a minute. But uh, so you were talking about the the fact that there doesn't seem to be a head on the on the, the the bridge, and it turns out that I do remember in the QuickTime VR that there actually is a space, you know, next to the elevator where you can go and relieve yourself in the middle of your shift, right? And so I found this website. Uh, I looked around and I found this one that says you can totally see characters going to the bathroom. <laughs> On Star Trek, and they've got some clips and some some memes and stuff like that. Of of you can see like there's a, a scene where Riker's you know uh, he's got the calm, and and there's one person walks behind him, doesn't walk into the elevator, but walks around a corner, which is where the, apparently the bathroom is, right? Uh, so so there actually is a in the layouts of of the you know if you read the books and stuff like that, there's layouts of showing that there is a a um, potty, let's put it that way, on the bridge. So yeah, just you know, truthful out. It's one of those tricky areas. So this is in reference to the idea from last week's Strange New Worlds episode that if you can have the precision to beam eye drops onto somebody's eyes, surely you can remove fecal matter yes. from their bodies, That's right? That's why we never see anybody going to the bathroom. And I don't deny that there is beta canon like diagrams and, and funny things that are in the background, but we haven't canonically seen them entering or leaving a bathroom from what I recall. No, if you look at this this link, there's, there's so a, what there's you're a showing me is a is a gif of a guy going, 
you know, to that area that in real world is like off stage, right? Um, yeah. But but in universe is hypothetically supposed to be the bathroom, but that hasn't been like stated on screen, or we haven't seen like you know the can. You know, behind no, it was. I think Archie Bunker was the first person to show a toilet on <laughs> television. But yeah, I know. I yeah. I mean, you're you're right. They don't actually physically say that. But I do, but I do remember. Like I do. I can pull up the QuickTime VR. Don't make me get my my old CDs out. But yeah, no, I have the QuickTime VR of the ship. They had this tour you could. You, it's basically a, a PNG tour you could buy, and you and you. It's like you remember Quick, QuickTime VR had the hotspots and the as you can navigate from one clip to another. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever done that. It's like a map. You could like like Quick View, like Street View does. You know how Street View has those little circles. You can click on them and navigate to a different part of the 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 street or the captures that that Google does. Right? That kind of that's exactly the same idea. Sort of like you know, like a in the round picture, right? Anywho, moving on. Uh, let's move to the headlines, and Jonathan can do some talking while I watch the hockey game. So we got a great news this week. We knew that uh, we were going to be losing Jodie Whittaker as the doctor in Doctor Who. And in a bit of a weird announcement, on Sunday afternoon, they announced that sex education star Kuti Gatwa is going to be the new doctor. So this is... um, uh, yeah, a really interesting casting call because uh, I've had a chance to see him on this show the last uh, three seasons, and he is incredible. He's a wonderful, wonderful performer. Uh, Scottish actor. He was born in Rwanda, and um, he is he's incredible on that show, and I, I love him, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do as the doctor. Um, he is uh, he is obviously African, and he is... Um, the they're saying he's the second black actor to play the doctor following Joe Martin. Of course, Joe Martin was the fugitive doctor in in, um, in the episode from last season. Um, interesting though, like interesting casting. I know you know it. It was really it was an interesting speculation as to what they were going to do because. You know, they had broken new ground by having a female doctor for the first time, and obviously, you know, your mileage may vary. Some people really enjoyed Jodie Whittaker. Some people didn't like it as much. Uh, personally, I thought she was fine. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with this. The other thing that's uh, worth mentioning about uh, Nguti is he's also openly gay, and um, I'm wondering if he would be playing the character as that, or if he'll be you know, uh, portraying him in a different way. So I think that it adds all kinds of interesting new wrinkles to the way that the storytelling they can do with Doctor Who. So, yeah. What do you guys think? I think it's good. I think the, I think sometimes, though, the Doctor should be ambiguous in, in that sense. Like, I know that the, sometimes the companions kind of fall around him. I think with Christopher Rockington and Billy Piper, there was a thing going on, right? Mm-hmm. A vibe. But I mean, like, you know, with... Peter Capaldi, there were a lot of, um, and maybe a little bit with um, Amy Pond and Matt Smith, but but then she eventually marries, marries somebody else. Well, right? David Tennant and, and Billy Piper was massive, right? Like that was a clear. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That, that, yeah. They were clearly in love to, yeah, to the point where uh, they, that was the, how they had to resolve that storyline, right? Uh, I don't remember how they resolved that. Oh, one, but, they, they um, basically split a duplicate, right? So she got to live with the duplicate forever, and the doctor got to go off. Oh, I see. Um, but. Uh, yeah, but generally speaking, like the the doctor has always sort of been an older older person initially in the initial doctors, right? More of a professor type person, and um, you know, in the you know there was the sort of the the, the vibe between Yaz and and um, the doctor Jodie Whittaker's doctor, and and um, I've forgotten his name now. The the uh, man from Liver Liverpudlian um, 
comedian dude was was sort of trying to tell um the doctor and yaz in the last or tell the doctor in the last episode like do you not see that yaz is like you know in love with you sort of thing and jody's like what what are you talking about you know but uh, that was in the last i don't know if you saw the last um last couple of shows but um you mean dan is it dan dan thank you yes yes um they it, it you know it's kind of like the the doctor's sort of this you know teacher professor you know uh, mentor kind of character right um and i think that you know admittedly yeah you're right there was sexual tension in in the previous doctors but in the original show there really really wasn't i mean the the companions often question the doctors you know um about things and the doctors were always sort of like senior you know like more sort of wizened advisor sort of roles right so yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right though. I think as somebody who has the ability to transform race and and you know, prescribe gender and all those different things, it to me it makes perfect sense that they would be pansexual, right? Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about or asexual, either one or the other. I mean, they, they could be yeah, completely apathetic after thousands of years. Yeah, we're going to talk about some some uh, what I thought was surprising um anatomy that was displayed in today's episode of um Star Trek, but we'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Jaime? What do you think about this casting? I'm not familiar with the actor. Um, I'm, you know, amused because uh, I kind of knew that the, the internet would, would, would slowly sort of understand what's happening. And I think I cheekily said, like, good news, misogynist. The next Doctor Who is a man. <laughs> and it's like, wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> Until they see the, uh, you know, the color thing, and I was not aware of the openly gay thing. I'm like, I'm sure they're having a field day with us on the interwebs uh, as to why this is not in spirit of a character who clearly changes, uh, you know, bodies many times as sort of a central, you know, basic idea of the character. Why, why, why does it always need to be a straight white dude? <laughs> is my question to those fans. True. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and, you know, we had two female doctors in a couple of episodes this year too. Right. So yep. on the same shows. Right. Um, and that's not to say like, like, um, at the Alex Kingston character too, technically was sort of a doctor too. Right. Wasn't yep. yeah, uh, she had the powers for, for a bit. Yeah. 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 So, there's, and, there, it's one of those, uh, how many episodes of the original series of Star Trek are there debates? People will dig their heels in about what the right number is. It's the same thing with who is technically the first female doctor, who is technically the, uh, what is the total technical number of doctors because of, you know, all the different iterations. And yeah, it's, I mean, again, pedants will out, right? Yeah. Even, even John Hurt, who, you know, yep. was, was the war doctor, special, yeah. but yeah, the war doctor wasn't really a doctor, but he was a doctor, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then there's, I mean, even Peter Cushing was a doctor at one point, right? Yeah, they, again, it, it, it really is just in the eye of the beholder. And above, above all, calm down, it's a TV show. <laughs> yes, that's true. All right. Yeah, this one made me very sad. So I had mentioned uh, earlier this year that the legendary comic book artist George Perez had been diagnosed with... Uh, terminal pancreatic cancer and he had declined treatment he wanted to, he preferred to uh have his life life come to a close with uh without you know any uh treatments to try and extend it and uh unfortunately this week he he uh passed away uh he died uh last friday uh with his family at his side um i, I again i'm 
was lucky enough to have uh, met and and interviewed him and and uh, and shared some time with him. Uh, he was an absolute gentleman. He was so kind, so warm, so gracious for somebody who had accomplished so much. He was one of the truest gentlemen, uh, and, and a truly a gentleman. I mean, he was just just so kind and so so appreciative of the love that everyone had for his work and for for him. And uh, you know, not an ill word has been said, obviously, in in the wake of his his death. And uh, you know, just just a little recap for those of you who aren't as familiar. But I mean, he was one of the absolute star artists for decades. I mean, he started in the 1970s. He was one of the stars of the 1980s, uh, you know, working on books like Fantastic Four, working on The Avengers, working on, um, you know, New Teen Titans, Superman, uh, you know, just uh, Wonder Woman. He, he, you know, in the mid-1980s, he basically rewrote Wonder Woman to modernize the character and was an incredible run. Um you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, one of the most, you know, legendary crossover stories of all time. He he impacted work across so much and just, you know, be, beyond talent, just an incredibly, um, you know, uh, just a spanning career, just an absolutely spanning career. Um, yeah, again, this one sucks. It sucks so hard. He, uh, you know, I'm glad that he had this time near the end of his life where we could all send our notes and we could all, uh, you know, come together and, and unite in our love of him and his work. And uh, and I'm glad we had that time. But God, it's this hurts. And especially a week after losing Neil, this just it's crappy to lose this generation of such amazing people. Yeah, looking um, at some of the the art that he's done, I think the one that sticks out to me that uh, I know he did the issue. I'm guessing he probably did the cover too. Is the Crisis on Infinite Earths with yep. Superman holding Supergirl? Supergirl. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. One of the most iconic covers in the history of comics. Frankly, it really is. You know, and that's and that's the level level we're talking about. I noticed uh, somebody posted a, a a piece up on one of my uh, social media channels in the last few weeks, and it was you know what are the most iconic covers of all time, and you know George was. You know, everybody had a George cover. There was, uh, you know, a bunch of them in there that were just, you know, seminal pieces of work, historic pieces of work. It's, um, yeah, I mean, again, this is a titan. His level of detail, the ability for him to do such finely detailed work. I mean, if you look at his pieces and then you break them down and you look at them, I mean, they do these beautiful things now. These artist edition books where you can really see all the line work and all the detail. And I, I have a an incredible piece, um, which I actually bought a long time ago when it was new, but it's um, a set of portfolio plates by George of the work that he did on Batman. And it is just black and white. It's, it's, you know, they're, they're prints obviously, but the work is breathtaking. It is absolutely breathtaking that someone could draw with such gorgeous and intricate detail. And, you know, it, and honestly it, it it almost made me feel guilty for reading it as a, as a you know a 1990s comic book that was printed on like you know pretty average pulp newspaper because again his work was exquisite but uh, yeah no he's he 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 uh, was every bit what uh, what he 
seemed to be uh, an absolute legend, and uh, and he will be missed greatly. All right. Um, so so last week uh, I think we mentioned a couple of things. One, it was it was May the fourth, the uh, Star Wars Day, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel on Jimmy Kimmel Live was uh, off sick with COVID. And so he had guest hosts on, and one of the guest hosts that he had on uh, last week was Christian Bell, and her guest was um, Adam Scott from Severance and Parks and Recreation and stuff like that. And uh, so he was telling the story about how when he was a little kid, he was a huge Star Wars fan. He was probably, you know, like, uh, I think he said he was in grade, he misspoke in the, in the, uh, in the, the interview, but he was eight, I think. He was in grade, or grade seven, he would have been, or grade two, he would have been seven, right? So he invited, sent a letter to invite Mark Hamill to his birthday party. And of course, Mark Hamill, you know, was probably busy and didn't come and all that kind of stuff. And so in the middle of telling this story to Christian Bell, all of a sudden you hear the Star Wars music and uh, um, Mark Hamill shows up and comes in, you know, comes down the stairs in in, uh, smoke or or dry ice and uh, with a lightsaber and sits down next to Adam Scott and says, I'm really sorry I missed your birthday party. So yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting uh, video there. And of course, if you watch the video, you'll see that Adam Scott is actually visibly shaking. <laughs> you know, so yeah, every seven year old's uh, dream come true is what uh, what I put as the lead to the story. Kind of cool. And and now I have to break some bad news to you. That was actually five years ago. Oh, okay. That's that okay. Was... We have we have the power of editing. It's yeah. fine. No, it was just you're right. It's it's one of the best clips. I love that bit because I I think all of us who were kids during that era had that kind of you know oh my god what yeah. if Luke Skywalker showed up at my birthday party <laughs> and then you finally get to meet him. I think we are all Adam Scott in that moment a hundred percent. Yeah, but well, I think uh, I, yeah. I, I guess they, they, they it was just posted like. It was posted on the day, right? So yeah. why Jimmy Kimmel's team would do that? You know, cause oh, evil, I, guess I guess it's just such a memorable Star Wars fan moment, right? It is It is one of the moments that just rings true for so many of us. Like, you know, my goodness, to to, to have your, your hero just surprise you like that. What a moment. Yeah, I thought I had seen it before, but you know, but it did it did it did because it did ring a bell. But I mean, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. And I, and I remember Christian Bell was I think it might have been when Jimmy Kimmel's son was sick when she was substituting for him, right? Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and his son is like seven now, or five or whatever. Yeah, there you go. cool. All right. Well, yeah, we have a trio of trailers to talk about. Um, we've got Avatar. Two, the avataring we've got uh westworld and we've got the orville new horizons so um you know maybe we can get everybody's thoughts on these ones um my initial thoughts on avatar were i did not care at all when i saw it on my computer and it was not until last night when we saw it uh, for, for the for the fans. Uh, Tim and I and our number one fan went to see um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness last night, and they showed the Avatar in three D. Yeah, yeah, the Avatar two trailer in three D on an IMAX screen, and it was at that point where I was like, "Oh, now I remember. This is actually awesome." Mm. So. I'm, I'll be curious, particularly you, Jaime, because obviously you wouldn't have had that experience yet. What did you make of this? Did, did you get in any way a good feeling when you saw this? Did you care at all? I mean, it's a teaser trailer. It has no substance. It's just like people's faces, right? Yeah. I, watching on my, uh, what, what did I see it on my iPad, I think? Um, it seemed fine and serviceable. And I think what you're describing is not surprising, given we talked about, you know, the original Avatar was just 
an amazing experience in the theater in 3D. And when I watch it, you know, on TBS or Disney Plus or something, I'm like, ah, it's a nice thing to have in the background, but I'm not, I don't need to pay attention to it. So it sounds like I need to make an effort to see this in the theater in 3D is what I'm hearing. Well, so that's an interesting point because, yeah, you're right. I, I watched um, the original Avatar movie on regular TV you know, a few times, you know, just not again. It comes on, you watch it for a few minutes and then you flip, flip away kind of thing. Or, or, you know, I don't think I ever watched the entire story. Um, but and and I hadn't seen I saw the the IMAX 3D version of this first and then I saw it. Then I watched it again this afternoon. Um, and you know, it, it's from a from a artistic rendering, you know, 3D, you know, computer computerized, computer generated rendering. It's a very nice looking movie. I mean, like it's got, you know, it's very visually stunning. And I'm talking about the 2D version, right? So, looking, look, taking from the perspective that I had seen it in 3D, it is it is a, it is a, it is propelling in 3D, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, it did look amazing, like especially the part where. The scene where the girls swimming underwater, or you see the water scenes and the and them flying slightly above, that effect works really really well. And and you know they do the gratuitous you know vines you know foreshortened away from you as as the camera pans and that kind of stuff. So they do they do the sort of you know throwing stuff at the audience kind of effects. But what I remember about the actual Avatar movie and, and so comparing this. Um, Again, amazingly huge IMAX projection, and you know we had good seats in the center of the screen. What what was it was amazing, right, to see it in 3D. But what I remember about seeing the movie in the the first movie in the theater is a couple of things. One is that first of all, I was not sitting dead center; I was sitting off to the side because you know I got into the, the reading room late. Um, but for me, the scene that was the the first one that kind of was the jaw draw dropping thing was the scene where they're going through the the, the um, forest and the sun's going down, right? And he starts to light flares so he can see where he's going, and she knocks the flare out of his hand and says, "No, no, don't do that," right? Um, and as soon as she, as soon as they dis- extinguish the the flare, you see that the plants are all luminescent and they all light up at night, right? Kind of thing. And when that scene happens, that's when the whole movie, it's like the the scene in um, Wizard of Oz where Dorothy wakes up in Oz for the first time and you switch from black and white to color. It's mm-hmm. that much mm-hmm. of a difference, right? The other scene that was really compelling about the the first movie was when they burn the tree and all the ash from the tree is is, is you know, coming down like big giant snowflakes, right? I remember sitting in the theater on an angle looking at this thing and actually having the sensation that those those pieces of ash were actually falling on us in the audience, right? To the point where I looked over at the edge of the screen to see that, you know, that's where the effect broke because it, obviously they weren't falling out of the screen. But when you were looking at the movie, it was that, that deep and that much of an effect. So to be honest with you, I don't know that that trailer sold me in that same way that, that the, the original um, 3D experience happened. I mean, and it could also be that I think because it's James Cameron and because he pulls out all the stops, right, on, on movies that he does, I think they, they paid special attention to how the 3D effects works in, in, the, in the original Avatar movie. And, and we've seen so many 3D movies now. And like, you know, the, the, the Doctor Strange movie we saw, we also saw Spider-Man in 3D. Those are the, probably the best two 3D movies I've seen in a long time. 
yeah. right? Because, you know, because Speedy doesn't always work, right? Um, just because you put on the glasses doesn't mean it's going to make the movie great or whatever, right? But uh, but comparing to the original Avatar, I wasn't quite, you know, so I, I'm kind of thinking, like, you know, um, it's a James Cameron story. It's going to be visually stunning. It's going to have a lot of, lot of um, production put into it, you know, kind of thing. Like, he puts, he pulls out, he does really good, you know, visually stunning movies, right? Um, but uh, I don't know that, um, yeah, I mean, it was okay, but I mean, you know, I, I, I think you could live without seeing it in the, in the theaters. Not as, I mean, like it was akin to Star Wars, A New Hope or The Matrix in the theater compared, like in terms of how much it moved the craft forward. Right. I don't know that this particular trailer sold me in that sense. Same sense. Yeah. No, do you I, think? I, I think it was, I think it was great. It just, yeah, I, I it doesn't work on non 3d it's i i don't care about that world enough yet i don't care about the characters i don't care about any of it i just know that james cameron makes awesome movies yeah yeah actually can i can i just talk to jaime for a minute john you may yeah okay so So, jaime the other trailer we saw yesterday was they it was a sneak preview of a movie called top gun maverick Uh, uh, excuse me excuse me excuse me go watch the hockey game (laughs) they're in intermission they're going overtime Anyway, oh crap. Um, anyway, so so and it, it was a it was a, a dogfight training scene that Maverick was doing with with you know the the cadets right and and uh, sort mm-hmm. of like very sort of male bravado, tongue in cheek sort of you know me versus you and and the loser has to do two hundred push ups kind of thing right and um, it's probably about a five minute five or ten minute scene of the movie and I'm telling you in IMAX, holy crap, was it effective. Like the the jets flying past each other. I mean, like again, like like the original Top Gun. There are things to do in the Top Gun movie that are that are impossible with jets. Like the two. This I don't know if you saw the original movie, but the scene where the two jets are flying and the um, I think Maverick's up, upside down and they're they're flying along together. That's impossible to do in a jet, right? Um, physically, like it, they, the two of them would crash into each other. But um, yeah, it was really, really well done. I mean, to the point where, yeah, I'm thinking I would want to see that movie in IMAX for sure. I won't take Jonathan though. Sounds like a good one to see there. Cause the, the trailers have got me pretty hyped and I'm just watching them on my, you know, normal TV or iPad. Oh or, no. Oh. In, in IMAX with the, like, turn the volume down, please. Like it was like loud. And you know, so when those jets boom past each other, the other thing too, is, which I think is kind of really amazing. And, and, you know, Say what you will about Tom Cruise. I mean, the fact that he's actually sitting in an actual jet as they're pulling these G's and he's acting. I mean, like he's staying in character and all that kind of stuff. I'd be going, holy sh! you know, pass me the, the barf bag, you know? I guess, no, I wouldn't say that yeah. on the podcast, would I? I was going to say, <laughs> or you might want to bleep that one. Yeah. Very so heavy. Back to this uh, this Avatar trailer. I paid attention to the very end where they show the fonts. <laughs> Because I oh, yeah? remember the Saturday Night Live sketch about the papyrus font, the original Avatar font. And so I included a link in the show notes for those of you transporting it home to the SNL skit with Ryan Gosling. It's great. It's fine. And I noticed they changed the Avatar logo font and apparently had retroactively changed it on uh, on Disney Plus for the past couple of years. Oh, really? Like you mean to, to get away from the papyrus look or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love the SNL skit. We'll have it. In the show notes, you know, I love the, it wasn't enough of a change that they made. And uh, Ryan Gosling just uh, chewing up the scenery. Cool. All right. And 
And the Westworld trainer, is this is this a movie or is this the TV show, Jonathan? Yeah, no, this is the next season of uh, okay. Westworld on HBO. Oh, I still haven't finished season three yet. Well, you, you might want to get on that because coming soon to a television near you, you will get... The premiere of season four of Westworld, uh, June 26th is the date that we now have. And yeah, this trailer again in typical uh, Westworld trailer fashion is is pretty obtuse. It's hard to really pick a lot of um, understanding out of it. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, as always, it looks beautiful. All, a lot of familiar faces. Um, I, I really enjoy that series. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes next. What do you think, Jaime? Mm-hmm. Yeah, seemed uh, like an interesting teaser. It certainly teases, right, just uh, to that point there. Um, I'm definitely going to have to watch those recap. Um, you know, somebody's got like a half-hour recap of the previous season of uh, whatever show you're looking for on YouTube, because um, <laughs> it's been a minute since I've seen season three, so I don't recall precisely uh, where everybody was at, right? Like when you see some of the characters in the train, I'm like, mm, I kind of remember what happened to them. But like, is that last season? Is that the season before? Was it was it this person or that person? And there's a there's a, there's a lot of persons who could be other persons going on. So I gotta gotta remind myself. Cool. And you guys don't think that it was done after season three? Like it wasn't? I didn't see the the very end of it, but uh, you know when they brought in Jesse Pinkman and yeah, no, it it definitely left the door open for more. Did it? Okay. All right. Cool. And last but not least on the trailer front, the Orville New Horizons. We got a trailer and a long trailer with a lot of stuff in it. This was, um, yeah, it was a lot. They they really, they, they showed every single character. They all had lines. They showed a bunch of different worlds, lots of flying around in the ship and lots of, well, you know, it's been a long time vibes to mm-hmm. it. Very much mindful of the fact that it's been multiple years since we last saw uh, any Orville episodes. And I, I I couldn't help but wonder, Jaime, you joke about this all the time uh, with, you know, television sci-fi, where it's like, oh, that's an awesome looking scene. Boy, they're going to have to film a lot of interiors to, to cover the expense of that. I could not help but think, did we just see every VFX shot for the entire season in one clip package? It would probably be fairly close because it looks like they definitely upped the uh, the money on some stuff. Uh, it looks a little different from when it was on Fox. And uh, I mean, think about like the Picard trailers that we saw for season two. Didn't we see pretty much every pew 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 shot at the very least um, in in the trailers? I'm I'm guessing we did. If not literally, we saw every scene. I think right. They might have like, oh, it was like. You know, 30 seconds, we trimmed it to 25. Okay, cool. <laughs> there was five seconds of a torpedo exploding that I didn't get to see in the trailer. But uh, um, I, I, I think that's kind of the way to get your, your bang for the buck, right? Yeah, and it did seem to be more serious than the show. I think the show was very tongue firmly planted in cheek before, right? But it, it did sort of have a serious vibe to it, like almost like they want to win the more serious um, sci-fi fans over, trying to you know, get them to watch the show if they haven't watched it already. You're right. It did. It did definitely seem to, that they stepped up the budget and and like the effects were much tighter. My question was: I thought in the end of the last season that Isaac, when he went home and and his whole um, race tried to take over, I thought that that as a character he would be done. But he's back in this this show, right? Yeah. If you recall, he actually he ends up getting sort of ostracized from his people in, in that part of that storyline, right? And it looks from the 
trailer you've got here that he's you know not well liked by everyone on on the the Orville because they they show him with like murderer or something written on uh, yeah, like yeah. vandalized in his uh, room presumably yeah yeah I I found myself thinking about this and it, and it's funny because it's kind of we have to put ourselves back to the beginning of this podcast a little bit and put ourselves in that mindset so if you'll recall at that point. We had Discovery, which had just started, Star Trek Discovery, and we had we had the Orville. And there was this kind of conversation that was happening, especially on on chat boards, fan boards, social media, where people were saying, Well, I think the Orville is more Trek like than Discovery is. Discovery is too edgy, it's too dark, it's it's not as hopeful as I like my Trek. I, I prefer the Orville. And that was a conversation that lasted for a little while. And then, of course, the Discovery seasons have just kept on coming and and Orville's been in limbo. And in the time in between, we've also ended up with, you know, more Trek, more Trek, more Trek. We got, you know, Picard, we got, um, you know, Lower Decks. And now we've got Strange New Worlds. And Strange New Worlds is very much like the vintage Trek that people seem to be longing for that, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's science stuff, let's explore, let's meet strange, you know, new races and solve problems. And it made me think, has this gap just left the door too far open for Star Trek to find a niche that works? And like, where is, where is Orville's lane anymore? It's a good question because when you, when you, you go through the internet fan boards, as I tend to do. You, if you're like me, who's fairly uh, open and understanding of you know what would qualify as Trek, um, I can understand why people would not like how different Picard and Discovery are from you know everything else that came before, and that they're very much driven by the primary characters of Michael Burnham and Jean Luc Picard, right? Like everybody else is is a secondary character. Um, and they're, they're much more dramatic. They're much more heavily, um, heavily serialized. And I think that there are folks who are missing out by not giving Lower Decks and Prodigy a chance. And I think it's because they're, they're animated. So whether people pay attention to the content or not, it's like, ah, that's for kids. Right. And, and I would make a very strong bar, you know, bar arguments with somebody over like how deep and dark and crazy Prodigy is underneath the, the veneer of, you know, McDonald's uh, kids meal toys. Um, but I do think that Strange New Worlds probably scratches the itch that people have wanted. If you wanted something that is kind of like, you know, the way you think that that TNG was, but actually what you're thinking of is Deep Space Nine. Right. Like it's got that sort of level of like. A whole lot fresher, lighter, bit of a darker edge when it comes to the what I presume to be the the story arc for Captain Pike this whole season. But each episode is like fun. It's bright. People, you know, we know their names, and it's not just the characters that we you know have an advantage of. Like, oh yeah, we know Spock. Oh yeah, we know um, Uhura and other folks. It's like, hey, these other characters, like I kind of have an idea how they work. Just from seeing them, you know, be a part of the cast, it's more of an ensemble feel with a lead and not, you know, not purely driven and quarterbacked by uh, Michael Burnham and, and Picard. So uh, I, I think if if you have somehow not been happy with the current state of Trek, you really, really, I guess, spoilers for the episode, you really should give Strange New World to try. Yeah, I, I think it'll be 
interesting timing wise because it not only have we gotten this sort of foray back to what some might consider that more traditional trek but they're literally going to overlap as to when they're on the air so the, the comparisons are inevitable yeah and i think to answer your your more concretely your question around like is there room i think um you know the orville might have room as being the babylon 5 to deep space 9 equivalent yeah right? like there's you know tons of fans of that babylon find is five is never as big of a fan base as star trek but it's you know respectable and it's something that people enjoy so um, and yet it is still considered you know i can't believe it's not butter <laughs> yeah there's a there was always going to be that sort of stuff uh uh my 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 salty take on on doctor who for example as somebody who was you know very much a newbie until this very show i'm like i kind of think doctor who only became a thing in the u.s because star trek was off the air for like a decade yeah and then people yeah. needed something to fill the space and they say oh what's this what's this strange british thing all right that sounds cool let's watch it now i literally yeah. never heard of doctor who prior to like enterprise going off the air it wasn't even on my radar yeah. Well, and it, to be fair, it's smart. It's smart if, you know, see a need, fill a need, right? If you see that there's a gap in the marketplace, fill it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, well, I guess we'll figure it out once we get uh, we get that show dropping. It's, I think, the first week of June. So pretty, pretty soon we'll see. We'll see what they bring us. All right. And the last thing we've got for the news this week is we are back to the CW. We talked about how CW was sort of, sort of shuffling the decks. They canceled a couple of the DC shows and there was sort of that speculation of, you know, what's going to happen next? What are they keeping? What are they losing? So this week they announced uh, their cancellations, things that they're getting rid of. And for things they're getting rid of, unfortunately, they're getting rid of Naomi, which was another DC Comics uh, property that um, I must admit I hadn't had a chance to sit down and watch. I was going to say, is, didn't it just start, Naomi? I think it was one season. I think it was just one season. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I hadn't, like, I just kind of saw it on things and thought maybe I'll watch it one day, but hadn't even got, I didn't even think we were into a full season yet, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So, c'est la vie. But uh, the flip side of that is that we did get news that CW has picked up the pilot for Gotham Knights. So, Gotham Knights, which is apparently not a spinoff from Batwoman and it is not tied to the Gotham Knights video game that's coming out and it's not tied to the Gotham Knights comic book that already exists they're just recycling the name is a series based on a group of children of the villains in the Batman universe uh uniting and and uh working in Gotham after Batman has died so the vi children of the villains? Children of the villains, yes. So this would be like Joker's daughter, Penguin's daughter, son. And they're, they're heroes now? Uh, or or anti-heroes. I guess you have to sort of decide how you want to interpret that. But yes, right. okay. that is that is the premise of, of Gotham Knights. So for those scoring at home right now, we've got a renewal for The Flash. Although, again, speculation is this might be the last and or a shortened season. And we've also gotten uh, renewal for the Superman and Lois series. Now the question is, uh, will they make an announcement about Stargirl? So Stargirl still hasn't aired its most recent season. There's speculation they're going to wait until they see the response to that before they decide whether they're going to extend it. So including those three and adding Gotham Knights, we're at four. And 
it's strange because we talked about like possibly that they're clearing the decks for HBO to sort of be the go-to place for your DC entertainment. But if they're picking up Gotham Knights, that's kind of a weird and interesting development. So, although uh, objectively it sounds terrible, so we'll see. I don't fully get it because when I was reading the article that you had linked, I was like, oh, okay, so you know, uh, previous revenue driven by um, promotion with Netflix of like take our scripted series, stream them on the service. Not going to do that because you know, Warner Brothers Paramount want to stream on their respective platforms, HBO Max and Paramount Plus. I'm like, oh, okay, so CW is caught in the middle, right? And this is somebody clearing the decks and saying. What the heck is our channel? I don't know that this expensive, you know, cape stuff is stuff we should do. We should do stuff that's cheaper, like Riverdale, right? Uh, I was like, okay. And then you said Gotham Knights. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Why <laughs> Why would you do that? What is your strategy here? Because your channel is very strange. Like, this says, like, oh, yeah, uh, besides Gotham Knights, they've got this prequel uh, to um, to Walker, which walker is a reboot of the chuck norris walker texas ranger like what exactly is your your plan here it's such a weird such a weird channel i can't figure out what's happening business-wise and what that means for who are fans of the properties that they've apparently decided to pick up no idea i guess i'll i'll see what happens as they keep playing games with uh, season two of superman and lois and go on these weird hiatus breaks in the middle of like (laughs) i think they've had like three episodes in a row before taking a break it really does. It does make you think hard about the idea of these kinds of stories being told on network television now. It really does. You know, we're so mm-hmm. spoiled mm-hmm. by the the Disney Pluses, the Netflix, all of these different opportunities that, that are the different venues for these shows. It really does become a frustration to have, you know, the commercials and to have the, you know, the it's on one week, it's not on the next week. Oh, your PVR wasn't listed as new, so you missed an episode. Like it's just it's so much. It really does kind of spoil the experience a little bit. It's it's a very different thing because like I've joked a lot on this show that you've got the CW effect of like every time Supergirl does something super like five times as many minutes need to be spent on like her emotional problems with her sister or or boyfriend or something right because like that's cheap and that fits in in cw's wheelhouse right and although that surely has some sort of effect even on something like a uh, a moon night where like not literally every scene and every episode can cost you know 20 million dollars but they spent a lot of money on moon night right it's a very tight six episodes of stuff um and and you're right it is kind of making you wonder of like you know where where is the where's the market for what has traditionally been like arrowverse stuff you know good pretty solid but is it is it past its time or can they can they find a way to make it work because not just make it work for the fans but like there's realistically a budget and a business behind this that somebody's like ah it costs too much whatever cheap it out or cut it is a possibility yeah yeah, that's fair. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll get on to the main part of the show where we talk about something Star Trek-ish shaped. And this time we're, we're only one show to talk about. I don't get it. Um, Star Trek new, Strange New Worlds, season one, episode two, called The Children of the Comet. 
Yes, Children of the Comet. So it starts off on, I think it's Tatooine. Isn't that where Ray was from, Tatooine? Because <laughs> the music the music in the beginning is no, exactly Ray's, Ray's the same. from Jakku. 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 So it, it, so we starts off on the planet Jakku because you hear the, the theme, Ray's theme sort of playing there in the background. Well, okay, it wasn't really Ray's theme. It was as close to Ray's theme as the... the 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 new um, theme song is to Alexander Courage's original thing. So anyway, but it wasn't really that. Turned out, uh, we hear Uhura's voice saying, "Cadet's log two nine one two mark four and uh, she describes that they're currently in the Persephone system and they're studying the comet C two two six zero Quentin as it's traveling towards a planet with which inhabited inhabited by some some primitive peoples. Um, and she is uh, unfortunately not really paying attention to the comet right now. She's working on her cadet cadetly duties of preparing for uh, landing party protocols. So apparently she's about to go off on her first landing party, which she'll remind us of several times in the episode. Um, so, but she we start off with her en route to the captain's table, where she's been invited to to have dinner with the captain and some some of the senior crew, senior senior officers, and she's. Ortega tells her to dust off her. Uh, she might want to dust off her dress uniform, so she comes out of the out of the turbo lift with the dress uniform on, and uh, Ortega is standing there in her street clothes, right? And turns out that this was a ruse by Ortega, uh, Lieutenant Ortega, to uh, fool um, Vincent or Cadet Uhura into wearing, you know, dress uniform for a casual dinner kind of thing. And as they're walking through the hallway, I'm thinking, you know. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen a bare midriff in on a character in uh, Star Trek before. And clearly, you know, Ortega is a mammal, and she was born to a mother. And I was wondering, like, would that not be insulting to people that aren't born from their parents sort of thing? I don't know. Just my thoughts. Like my belly button is offensive to you, a, a gourd yeah. who is hatched from an egg kind of thing? <laughs> Was that what you're going? Because that's the interpretation I had, and it's hilarious. But I, I'm interested in in following this train of thought. Yeah, well, this is this is sort of the, the there was there's a lot of there's a lot of exposition in this episode. Let's just put it that way. Um, and and there's repeated themes, uh, of course, you know, and, and they relate to the sort of the larger scope of the story that we we know about, especially with the Captain Christopher Pike and that kind of stuff. We'll talk about that a bit as well. So uh, they arrive at the at the party. The, tur- the the door opens, and of course, Captain Pike greets them there. And of course, he chuckles because he recognizes the fact that uh, uh, Uhura has been hazed by Ortega, and because she's wearing her dress uniform. And and uh, as well, you know, she she walks up to Una and he says, "Hey, how's it going?" And then walks away from her. So Uhura is left to her to her own devices, kind of like the the new kid on the block. Um, slightly dissed or given the cold shoulder by the other people on the, on the, in the party and she spies the new um chief engineer hammer and uh she realizes that he's he's uh, visually impaired and she runs over and says can i help and he gets you know kind of huffy and upset because it turns out that while he is visually impaired he uh, the rest of his his senses are are quite heightened to the point where they're even better and his uh, species, which I forgot to write the name down, Enar. also has a Enar. Pre- Enar also has a precognitive ability. And uh, Spock demonstrates this by throwing a carrot carrot at him, which he catches in midair, um, because Spock has you know has, has used his, tel- his telepathy to say, "I'm going to throw this carrot at you now," kind of thing, to demonstrate that that you know to uh, Uhura that uh, this person is um, 
is is that way and uh, you know when she asks him about the uh, the precognitive abilities he says i knew you were going to ask that and and she is really you knew that he goes yeah because everybody asks me that question so he's sort of toying with her as well but uh, so during the the um the uh dinner party pike, pike is telling a story about you know chasing a noskin they're always chasing noskins i don't get it they're always captains is it like a captain's rite of passage to have to have some sort of conflict with a noskin i'm not sure and they don't seem fast they don't seem like a fast race to me they're big huge. strong seen them? but yeah big yeah. and strong they don't strike me as fast yeah i do think they like they fit into that i'm pretty sure i could run down chewbacca sort of thing i wouldn't want to and i would surely not enjoy the outcome but i'm pretty sure i could beat him in a foot race you know so, so in perspective of the story, we've spent far too much time on this already. Um, so moving on, uh, they, as they're telling the story, uh, Spock looks around and he notices that people are chuckling and laughing at, at some of the exploits that uh, Pike is talking about in, in his te- retelling of the story. And he says, I, you know, I don't understand why humans have this need to laugh at people's misfortunes, right? And, uh, of course, Captain says, well, you know, sometimes things go so badly that you have to, you have to laugh. Which I think is going to be the new, uh, saying on Strange New Worlds, like, you know, I have a bad feeling about this, because you'll hear this one again. Um, so Pike, uh, hears, uh, Uhura casually humming a song, and he sort of asks her what, what song that is, and she tells him it's a Kenyan song from her village where she grew up, and is, well, you know, I read about you, uh, I understand you speak 12 languages, and she says, well, actually, I speak 32. And uh, he goes, well, how did how did that happen? She goes, I just wanted to, to communicate with the people in my in my area, and I just learned them. For her, came came naturally, right? And then he says, uh, so so tell me, where do you expect to be in t- ten years? And he kind of stutters on the ten because obviously we know what happens, and or we're supposed to meant to know what's going to happen to him in ten years. Um, and she sort of tells a story about how she doesn't really think that she's really sure. She's not really sure that she's even Starfleet, and you know doing virtual air quotes kind of thing. She tells a story about how her family were involved with the university at Kenya and her, her both her parents were killed and her brother was killed as well. And so she was meant to go to university and she couldn't see herself doing that because it just reminded her too much of, of her parents' demise, right? So she decided she moves in with her grandmother and her grandmother was in Starfleet. So she, that's how she ends up in Starfleet. So she's not really sure that, that uh, this is the life for her. And, and, um, but, uh, has an aside with her and says, you know, the captain values honesty and, and so do I. He says, like, but, you know, Star Trek, Starfleet's not easy to get into. And, and in fact, she had to compete against several thousand people to get there. And and he kind of sort of says, if you're not here, then you should probably make way for, for other people that, you know, want this more than you do kind of thing, right? And then uh, in the, this is after the dinner. And after the dinner, Una sort of asks uh, Pike about his stumble in, in, in the question. He says, I've heard you ask that question a thousand times. And why was this particular one more difficult? And he's like, you know, so, so bringing back the story about, you know, we know, what, we know what's going to happen to Pike, you know, in the future. Or, or he thinks it's the end of his life kind of thing. And, um, and he's sort of like, you know, living towards or kind of keep his keep it together as he moves towards that, that uh, predest- predestined fate for him, right? And um, so this whole precognition, pre- predestination, this is a, a major theme in this particular episode. And um, so back, so in, later on on the bridge, Spock calls the captain and says, you know, there's a problem. And he has a, a sort of a graphic demonstration of the path of the comet, and it's going to crash into the planet and in, in two days, and it's going to... Uh, and thank you very much, Mr. Autocorrect. It's not 
delay. It's Deleb, right? Deleb? Deleb? All the, the Deleb on the planet will die. Yeah. And, um, well, Park says, well, so, or somebody says, well, maybe we can move the comet. And they kind of kick around a few ideas on how to do that with ion propulsion drives. And, and uh, they finally decide that they'll use photon torpedoes. They'll fire them at the at the comet and, and uh, have it, you know, redirect or re, re, uh, move the move the path that the comet is on kind of thing. Um, you know, in Armageddon, they just split the comet into pieces, but I don't know why they couldn't do that. But um, anyway, uh, so they do this. They fire these torpedoes at the at the ship and or at the at the um, comet, and the comet apparently has a force field. We see like a force field pop up on on the screen as the the torpedoes are about to land, and so they're like, "What's going on with this?" And and uh, so they decide they have to figure out how to save this planet from this destruction of the the uh, planet and so he's you know i love i love this saving a planet before breakfast you know i love this job he says to me now on the side yeah the in- intro scenes happens at this point yeah that's true so a lot of stuff before the a lot of cold open stuff before the intro 11 minutes yeah, yeah 11 minutes of cold open stuff yeah and a lot of exposition a lot of you know a lot of character building and stuff like that right well they kind of i mean they they beam the new chief in at the end of last week and without any explanation and of course they showed him again yeah, right. And and the scene where he's telling her about his, his abilities, is that's from one of those little trailer thingies that they did uh, before the season started, right? Yep. So they've, they've, examined the, they've examined the comet, and they've determined that there is no life on the comet, but there is a subterranean structure. And so they go and get Sam Kirk, who just happens to be a xenobiologist. Isn't that what um, um, Michael Burnham is as well? Uh, Xenoanthropologist? So, yeah, she's a xenoanthropologist. He's a xenobiologist. I, I thought. I thought. Uh, I, I I thought that's what they both were, but I could be wrong because it would be a little different, right? Biology would be more like you know, I kind of want to pick apart their dead bodies, and anthropology would be like, I want to pick apart their culture. It's very, it's very picking apart these people is very different. Yeah, I may have written it down, but but, but yeah, I got I got the sense that they were they would they had the same role or whatever. So anyway, so they determined that. Uh, Spock, Kirk, and La'an, and as plus Cadet Uhura, who's you know, up for rotation on a, she's the red shirt on this mission. Um, they should they should beam down to the comet and check it out, kind of thing. And so Nurse Chapel is preparing them with a with a uh, uh, vaccine or something to protect them from the I forget cosmic rays or something that's happening down there. Um, and she doesn't tell them, but you know it, it it's quite painful this injection, and you know so few people complain about it and. Spock just sort of says to Nurse Chapel, I can handle the pain. And she says, oh, I'm sure you can. And she says, Spock, you're toying with me. And he goes, am I? Anyway, so they beam over, they put on these, these spacesuits and they beam over to the, to the comet. And uh, they notice as they get into the comet that there's markings on the wall. And, and uh, Kirk is saying, you know, what do you think these mean? And, and to Uhura, and she's like, why are you asking me? It's my first trip here. He says, well, you are a linguistics expert. You should be able to do it. What do you think? What do you think this means? And she kind of looks at them and she says, well, there's sort of a pattern and they, it's kind of like a sequence and maybe some sort of code or something. And uh, in examining the 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 uh, the environment, the spot, or Kirk decides to walk up towards the uh, the orb. Uh, he steps on it and just as O'Hara is saying, I don't think it's a good idea. And, and the thing lights up and then he gets too close and reaches out his hand and it and it basically zaps him and he goes flying back. Uh, after being electrocuted, and uh, your brother wouldn't do that. He'd be smarter than that. His brother would make love to it. Give it a shake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he'd be probing that uh, orb. Yes. Anyway, so um, 
So in, in inadvertently, also the way they find out that the force field um, pops on because they they you know they immediately say beam us out. We need to get this guy over to to sick bay, and they can't because you know the the the, the patterns are all being uh, occluded by the the force field and all that kind of stuff. So um, Spock takes out a tricorder, which is interesting, and and puts it in defibrillator mode, and and has a has a few shots at uh, uh, fixing uh, Kirk's heart. Um, and of course, you know, uh, you know, Uhura takes this opportunity to explain it once again, this is her first mission and she's still trying to figure things out. And, and, uh, as she's trying to, they're trying to, they've stabilized uh, Kirk, by the way, and, uh, trying to figure out what this, what's going on with the herb, orb. And, uh, she starts humming again. And, um, eventually the orb starts to repeat the humming pattern that she's making. Right. And, um, she's chatting with, with uh, Spock and she mentions the fact that, you know, Nurse Chapel about your girlfriend. He goes, Nurse Chapel's not my girlfriend. Well, she was clearly flirting with you, and and um, he sort of says, "I'm just trying to lighten up the situation here." You know, like the captain said, sometimes things go so badly you have to laugh. And Buck kind of like doesn't quite raise an eyebrow, but he should learn to do that, right? <laughs> um, and meanwhile, the Enterprise is is uh, getting ready to fire on the comet to try and you know convince it to drop its force field. I forget why they is going to fire on it, but as they about to push the button, the Enterprise gets fired on by a much larger ship, you know, a huge, like, you know, like many times uh, bigger and and uh, and uh, more powerful, that kind of stuff, right? Like, just basically, like they're they're not, they're outgunned and out, outsized kind of thing. Um, so they get hailed, or they hail the other ship, and, and uh, the, the man comes on, or the character creature comes on and says, we are the shepherds, and as the um, Universal Translator figures out, and uh, we're here to protect Mahanit, uh, an ancient harbinger of life. So, in other words, the comet is not, you know, just simply a comet. And if you if you interfere with it anymore, we'll fire on you. We'll destroy you, kind of thing. And um, you know, and Pike, uh, Pike is saying, well, we need to, you know, redirect it because we're trying to protect the the people on this planet. And the alien says it's absurd absurd for you to try and change the preordained path of the comet, kind of thing. And and it's not a comment, as you keep referring to it. It's an instrument. It's it. Uh, Mahanit will decide what is best, and will protect. We protect the arbiters who go around and and decide whether um, species and planets and things like that will will have life or die or whatever. And Pike says, "Well, we don't. Federation doesn't let people die. We we do our. We don't interfere, but we don't let people die unnecessarily." And and uh, and of course, the uh, the alien says, or the shepherd says. Uh, your crew has already desecrated the surface. This is blasphemy, and uh, any more actions you tr- you do to interfere or try and rescue your your crew uh, who are now in their grave, you know, will be seen as an act of war. Anyway, so uh, back on the orb, uh, Spock is trying to do another uh, another prep talk pep talk for uh, uh, Uhura, and really badly, and she tells him that wasn't a very good pep talk, and and that kind of thing, and and he tries again and, and sort of explains to her that, you know, in spite of the fact this is her first trip out and, and uh, you know, they need to figure out the, the code that's uh, on this this orb is uh, working, how to communicate with it, so you are, in fact, the only person for the job. And she tells him that's a much better, uh, much better pep talk. And um, she continues with her work and she starts humming again and uh, the comet kind of repeats the humming pattern that she's doing, and then Spock notices and says, you know, and they realize that the music that she's humming is triggering the orb, and uh, as as they do that, um, 
the Enterprise also notices that uh, that or, or Una on the Enterprise notices that the the orb is is repeating a pattern as well, or, or playing the music. And Pike listens to it and, and asks Siri, "Hey, what's that song here, Siri?" And um, uh, Siri says, "You know, this is it's Uhura's Uhura song." By the way, I don't know if you guys noticed or not. I went back and listened to it again, but it almost sounds like Majel Barrett's voice. The computer. She didn't only had the one line in in the in this episode. The rest of the time that he talks to the computer, there's no audio response. But I don't know if you guys caught that. I wonder if they've made a uh, um, you know a, a Siri voice essentially with Miguel Barrett Barrett's uh, intonation, or they've hired someone who sounds a lot like her, right? Well, when you think about what they yeah. were able to do with Star Wars, uh, the Book of Boba Fett, where they had. That wasn't even Mark Hamill doing Mark Hamill dialogue. That was a computer. Oh, was it? No. Oh. He didn't oh. record new dialogue. They used... Uh, an but he was acting, though, or, or they had no. another actor. They, oh, really? Yeah, no. Apparently, they had a they had a different actor, and they also... Yeah, for they did for with his first appearance, I guess, when he came at the end of... Uh, Mandalorian, but they didn't mm-hmm. actually use his voice. They didn't didn't hire him. Oh, they, you're talking you're talking about the the last last the book of Boba Fett, yeah, where where he where he goes to where Grogu's there and he's training him and talking to him. That's not Mark talking. That's a computer doing a Mark's voice. Well, because you know, there's a there's a, a meme on Twitter where um, Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano turns around and you can see clearly, you know, bent down in, in, on, you know, on the ground there in that scene that they're in together. That's Mark Hamill. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know what to tell you. At the time they made a big deal out of the fact that they, they didn't need Mark's voice. They didn't need him to, to have to do it anymore that they were using this computer program that had basically sampled him and was like spitting out dialogue in his voice. Cause everyone was like, I think all all old actors was like, uh oh, they could do anything now. Yeah, well, I've, I've actually interviewed Susan Barrett, who was the first voice of of um, of Siri, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, she basically she was she's no longer the voice of Siri. They use different different actors, but they just go in and they they make all kinds of guttural noises and they turn those into into actual verb words and stuff so i suppose that's possible right yeah i mean there was certainly no shortage of content that majel barrett did between her acting on the show and her doing the voice of the computer and all the all the computer games and video games yeah, and stuff they like could that. absolutely yeah, exactly. take that and sample it and if the, if the program is right they could you know probably sample her and, and spit it back out that way i think that'd be really cool if they could do that i think it'd be a lovely way to carry on her legacy yeah, Tom Cruise would like that. I'm sure. There's a lot of uh, big tech companies working on that sort of thing for their various voice assistants, Google and etc. They try to make it sound more natural, and so we're really not that far away from that scene where Commander Data impersonates Picard. He's like one seven four three six four two seven four Charlie nine or nine or nine or seven four two seven eight. You know, that incredibly long one, um, and having it sound pretty pretty natural. I think so. Mm. Uh, just like the deep fake kind of technology that, that they seem to be using to make uh, a younger version of Mark Hamill appear on somebody else's face, it's it's getting pretty nutty with what's possible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I occasionally have to edit the podcast and fix things, and I don't know if people notice or not, but I'm sure 18 year old kids who are number one fans <laughs> of the show probably probably do recognize. But I think in, in most people wouldn't wouldn't notice. But uh, yeah, you can you can tweak things quite a bit. Cool. Anyway, so back on the back on the orb, um, Uhura starts to harmonize and asks uh, Spock and and uh, Laana Lahana just looks at her like you've got two heads. 
um, and they try to harmonize, and so Spock helps, and uh, they almost do the the theme song from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I don't know if you guys caught that. Yeah, I was thinking but... that it was an homage to me because <laughs> it sounded similar enough. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but and they managed to get a certain frequency going, a certain harmonization going. Um, uh, it's a really interesting explanation of, of harmonics too, which I thought was cool. Um, but the um, and how you know, music basically is math, and and uh, harmonics and major thirds and major fifths are just multiple uh, pure uh, straightforward multiplications of particular frequency, right? But uh, I didn't make notes on that, but I do I do know that for a fact. But um, the orb opens up, and and uh, I don't know what the purpose of it opening up, other than other than the fact that now it's ready to communicate with them, and so the orb starts to resonate and and spit uh, out. Um, some some stuff there right so i figured the opening up was the equivalent of like my amazon echo has a little ring around it that yeah you know, makes a little blue ring it's like oh i'm listening i'm waiting for your command really oh, okay yeah i hadn't noticed that but uh yeah i do notice it does that when when there's been a delivery and i haven't you know gone to the door or whatever but um yeah, so so they start to resonate and they try different different things and uh Uhura manages to get the force field to drop down and so immediately they beam the landing party off the ship. Uh which really annoys the shepherds who are who start uh coming towards the Enterprise and, and starts firing on them. And of course they use escape pattern Archer Omega three to get away from them and, and uh Laana says, We need to warp out and, you know, go lick our wounds and, and regroup 'cause we're we're getting we're getting beat up by this this other ship and so pike says to the crew you know target the weapons and the engines we just want to disable them for a bit and um and then they do that and he says because we need to figure out how to move the comet you know off its current path um and then spock sort of says what if we didn't what if the comet moved itself right like thinking i guess now that now that they figured out a a way to control it uh, maybe maybe the comet can change its own path right and so Spock and, or sorry, Pike and sort in terms of trying to defend themselves says, put us between them and the, between the comet and the ship and, um, tells Ortega to, to do whatever she can to get, get them there. And, and she says, well, we'll use Ortega gamma one pattern. <laughs> and she starts flying in this really weird pattern and, and manages, goes through the tail of the comet and avoids all the chunks of ice, uh, to the point where they get close enough to the comet that uh, the big ship stops firing on them because they don't want to damage the comet either, right? So with some friendly fire kind of thing, right? And so uh, Pike tells him to turn off all the systems and turn everything off but life support, and he turns, he opens up the hailing frequencies and says, we surrender, you know? Um, don't fire on us because, you know, you could you could wreck our crash, you could make us crash into the comet and our, our warp core would blow up and... Uh, even if we crash into the comet, we'd destroy it, and that won't that won't work for you. So hey, help us! And so the uh, shepherds start turn on a tractor beam and start pulling the Enterprise out of the out of the way of the comet. Um, and so you know what they didn't know was that Spock has been sitting there in the Millennium Falcon on the side of the comet, um, and so he detaches and starts to fly along and uh, turns turns up the shield, heats up overheats his shields to to start melting the ice and things like that. As he's flying close to the comet, and the surface of the comet starts to respond to the to the environmental changes he's making, and it results in the comet changing its path. And and but you know Pike's point is we didn't touch the the uh, the comet, so we should be okay. Although technically, relatively speaking, and relativity and all that kind of stuff, they kind of sort of did because they touched it with heat waves. But I'm not going to go there. Um, and then uh, Una looks at the projections of the, of the comet's path, and they realize that the comet is no longer going to collide with the planet. So they've 
they've managed to do, do what they intend to do. And But as they notice that the comet is flying close to the planet, the edge of the tail of the comet touches the atmosphere and creates like an borealis kind of effect, right? Um, and in, in but in in the sort of uh, melee that happened, they've lost Spock, and all of a sudden they hear over the intercom Spock laughing. And Pike goes, "Are you okay, Mister Spock?" And he goes, "You know, sometimes sometimes things go so badly you have to laugh." So once again, um, but apparently the water from the comet. Uh, hitting the atmosphere starts to change the the weather patterns on the planet starts to create water and they surmise that the comet has pike says has has it actually brought life to the planet sort of thing um anyway the shepherds come on the hail them and and says now you've seen the glory of of mahadit um, and you've seen, you know, how how it can decide, you know, itself whether whether something lives or dies and that kind of thing and so, you know, we'll we'll part not as enemies kind of thing, and off they go. Uh, a little while later, Cadet Uhura comes in and tells the senior staff that she's decoded uh, the message that they, they captured from the uh, the song that the, the uh, comet was singing, and um, she determines that in, in the, uh, the pattern um, that they get, there was actually an image of a chunk of ice, and it matches exactly the chunk of ice that Spock managed to get to come off the plant off the comet and they're like well and she says but the weird thing about that is is that message was recorded two hours before Bach flew into the comet right mm-hmm. so they're like oh what what um and yeah the com- so the comet said this way before so it kind of the comet knew its fate and maybe this whole thing was preordained the fact that Spock had to fly close to the to the ship right which if you think about it circles back to pike's conundrum as well right and uh, so Spock um, takes uh, or, um, her aside and, and tells her, you know, like, you know, I just want to say that uh, one thing. And he goes, yeah, 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 I know. It's my first mission. And he goes, I'm not finished. And uh, he says, you know, in spite of in spite of your position or what you think about um, Starfleet and, and your, your career here, um, Starfleet would be fortunate to have you, given, given your skill and your your, your knowledge. And uh, so Una, in talking to Pike at the end of the episode, is saying, don't throw your life away. Stop, you know, mulling about this 10 years in the future thing. And just what if what if it's just not really true? What if what if it's, uh, you know, he's he's like, well, like, you know, I accepted that this was my fate. And, and when when he in the episode, when he went and looked at the, the future of himself, he, he realized that that was the danger of the thing he was doing back at the temple. And um last thing Pike does is goes over to the computer and asks the computer to show him images of the people that uh, he eventually will save. I think, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, he rattles off their names, but uh, he rattles them again. And, and of course, they're all like, you know, teenagers and kids and stuff like that, because this is going to happen in the future. And, you know, Una had left him with the thought, well, what, what if this doesn't happen? What if this is just, you know, what if you can change something in between now and then, and, and that isn't your future? And that's where the episode ends with him looking at these his kids he's going to save at some point in the future dun, dun, dun. that's it i'm digging the vibe you know it uh it definitely has a oh man here's a problem it's a very star trek problem they need to solve um mm-hmm. and yet it it feels it feels lighter and peppier than you know uh, a lot of modern trek which i think is a, a nice change of pace back to something we had before so again if people are curious about you know, how does this feel i'm like well you know, from watching this episode and just having been used to Anson Mount's portrayal of Pike, I'm like, Pike is kind of the 
manager you want to work for, right? You know, it, it turns out, you know, he's got the, the, the drama that he's dealing with behind the scenes, but, he, you know, he's having dinner with, with the cadets and, and senior staff, and he's, you know, he's not mad that Uhura showed up with the wrong thing. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that's like mm-hmm. a thing that they do to, to haze people, and he's legitimately interested in her, her thoughts, even when she's like, yo, I don't know if Starfleet's actually for me which could be a career-limiting move in other circumstances. But he was like, okay, you know, hope it works out for you, whatever you do. Obviously, we want you in Starfleet with your skills. And uh, her little mini-arc in this episode was, like, for those conversations with Spock, right? Where Spock's like, yo, a lot of people tried to be here. If you don't want to actually be here, move out of the way so somebody else can take that spot. And at the end, he's like, you know, still the same thing, but you prove that you're totally capable of doing this. Maybe you should consider doing it as your career. John, are you finished crying yet? No. No, I, I, just, I just posted on social media, you know, sun's going to rise, sun's going to rise, rain's going to fall, leaves are going to leaf. You know, you just, you got to, you got to accept things as they are. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I, I thought this was good too. I, you know, this is the second episode in a row. The other one, the first episode was a little, um, a little piloty, you know, like as as it as it would be, right? Like it it definitely had all the hallmarks of a pilot episode, you know, little little bit of expository dialogue that seems a little wooden and stuff. But it was it was really good. This was a, another just a really sort of classic throwback, you know, really nicely told character story. You know, introduced a little bit of character, got to know one character in particular, focused a little more, and I thought. Um, Celia Rose Gooding, who's the the actress they've got playing Uhura, was was wonderful. I thought she was really good, and yeah, it, it's. It, I think the thing I was I was trying to sort of figure out what the word I wanted to use to sort of put on the first few episodes of this was, and the word I came up with is likable. Everybody on this show is very likable. The actors, their performances, the history we have with the characters, it's its all just very likable. It's very easy to like and sit and enjoy and root for these people. You know, it's not 100% the original TOS cast. It's some. And there are some new, you know, mixes. Who's this person? Oh, oh you know, well, what's what's this character going to bring to this? And, and the dynamics and everything. But... Yeah, I mean, you know, Anson Mount is incredibly charming. Uh, you know, Rebecca Romaine is extremely charming. You know, uh, all of these people are very likable. And it's making for a really fun show. You know, even, you know, Ethan Peck, he's he's got a charm to him. You know, he's playing Spock, but he's playing him in a very uh, enjoyable way. That, you know, you find yourself smiling and, and just enjoying his performance. And yeah, I, I, I'm in. I'm I'm totally in. This is such a great show. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it too. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they continue to do sort of story, you know, episode by episode, or if there is sort of underlying pieces. I think that's the part that does separate it, even from, you know, Lower Decks definitely had a through line. Uh, and there's there's certainly a very strong one in Prodigy and Discovery and Picard. I wonder if we're going to get a lot of sort of, you know, self-contained episodes or if there is going to be sort of continuing. I mean, I guess the the continuing piece is the whole uh, Pike knows his fate. What is he going to do about it over the course of the season? I I guess that's the sort of central thread that weaves through. But uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they how they sort of continue to tell these stories. It's, It's it's been fun so far. Yeah, it's good. I, I really enjoy this. I, I, I like the the approach to this show, and they've got the the sort of um, 
you know, it, it's it's good track in in terms of like how it plays out, and and it's sort of modernized. What I what I found really interesting too is sort of the, some of the set pieces, like the uh, the bridge in particular. There's a scene where you know Spock used to have that scope that he would always be looking into with the light, you know, that would shine up in Leonard Nimoy's face. Well, they, you you see a section there, a session there where. For a split second, um, Ethan Peck is doing the same thing. And then, you know, on Ortega's calm, there, even though she's flying with, a, like, a flat panel, which is new, uh, that little sort of scopey thing that or, um, Sulu would have looked through to, to aim his weapons is there, you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah. So that that's cool. I, I like the sort of throwbacks to um, the the first series, I guess, the original series, right, in, in that sense, right? And the bridge looks very much like the like the um the original series bridge but with you know treatments like from discovery and and uh that kind of stuff like the dark you know dark mode instead of <laughs> light mode right homie but uh mm. yeah it's pretty pretty cool and and you know they've married some of the they've taken some of the the aesthetic from the movies as well to sort of you know modernize the look and feel of it so it, it's like even and you know i did i was knocking the the, the theme song it is it is much closer it's like again, it it is still a bit of a near miss for me, but yeah, there's a lot of tones in in the theme song that make or in the theme song itself that make it very reflective of the Alexander Courage piece in in the original original Star Trek. Because to me, you know, hearing that original Star Trek theme is the same thing as hearing you know the blast and the, and the the beginning of star wars you know every every star every like canon Star Wars movie always starts with the big Star Wars word and then that particular uh, John Williams theme coming back at you, right? Yeah. I think and that's my how reaction you know that Rogue One is yeah. different from mm-hmm. yours, Tim, because uh, and I don't have as much of a visual reaction to it as you do. And I think it's because I didn't live through it, right? Like my, my Star Trek growing up is TNG. So I probably yeah. feel different if somebody did like a reprise remix version of the TNG. Well, it's, in, it's interesting. If you, ever, if you sit down and watch the, the, um, the very first Star Trek, the movie... Right, the theme song on the Star Trek the movie is the the Next Generation theme song. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, which I wouldn't have seen live. That would have been like on VHS or something for me. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And did so. I I can understand your perspective. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just I didn't have that reaction to it because I was like, oh, okay. So they they did some updates. They didn't do the uh, the the 60s style of uh, of, uh, of voices. But they added kind of a, a 50s-esque UFO flavor. Yeah, it's to, you know, God, I can't even whistle it yeah. quite because it's, it's so actually, It's actually women, women singing the original Star Trek. Uh, you know that the bit at the end of the, the new intro where they're whistling sounds mm-hmm. exactly like the scene from Wayne's World. Yeah. The, there's the scene where they're, they're lying on the, the front of the of the Mirthmobile and they're looking up at the sky and they're the looking AMC pacer. That's AMC right. The pacer. AMC pacer. They're looking up at the sky and they're waiting for planes to land at the, the Chicago airport because that's, I don't know what you do when you're high, but um, that part Garth is whistling the Star Trek theme song as they're looking up into the cosmos. And right, that right. sounds almost bang on. I, I, I couldn't help but immediately go to that just because I actually just watched Wayne's World for the first time with my son. I had seen it, obviously, when it came out, but he'd never seen it before and we just watched it. So that was fresh in my mind. And when I heard the whistle, I'm like, oh, my God, that's like bang on. Yeah, but by the same token, though, like it's almost like, you know, to really fully appreciate Wayne's World, you have to have seen the Mike Myers, Dana Carvey sketches, right? 
I, that, I, that led up to that. Yeah, he, enjoy, kids, he enjoyed I mean, kids, it for, kids its, today, for what it was. No, no, but kids today, like, like you know, like they wouldn't even know what cable access is, right? I mean, no, no, it's true. Like before YouTube, well, it's, that's it's essentially how you it's, it's essentially a YouTube show, though. I think that's that's it's what TikTok. resonates to them, right? Yeah, yeah, it's TikTok. Yeah, yeah. yeah. party on. Yep. I mean, it's even funny that they had Wayne Gretzky on one episode, right? Party on, Wayne. <laughs> yeah, I always go to Madonna when I think of that uh, special guests. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you want to play Truth or Day, Arween? Mm. Yeah, and it's filmed in his basement, right? His parents' basement? Yep. Mm. Cool. All right. Yeah, good show. Yep. All right, so we'll do some, uh, some, some, without ruining them for, for Jaime... Doctor oh, Strange. But one thing we have to stuff? one thing we have to talk about though is mm. is the you know how Conan O'Brien has that what do you call that thing that that top of the way his hair goes up like pompadour? Oh yeah, the swoop. Yeah, the yeah. Yeah, can can we talk about Christopher Pike's pompadour? <laughs> his awesome hair that is it's, like yeah. a, a thing to behold. As yes, a exactly. hair impaired Canadian, I wholeheartedly endorse that man's hair. It is iconic. Yeah. Oh my mm. god, I would I would very much love to have that head of hair. Cool. All right. As opposed to Chandler's hair from the eighties, right? That probably, yeah. Um, yeah. So Doctor Strange too. We we had a chance to go see uh, Doctor Strange and the uh, Multiverse of Madness. So, Tim, what were your impressions without getting too uh, spoilerific and ruining it for those who haven't had a chance to see it yet? I think I think in perspective, though, we have to comment on the fact that we saw everything everywhere all at once just before we went to a double header. Sure. So. We saw two interpretations of the multiverse, mm-hmm. right, on the same night. Yep. And I got to say, I was more convinced about the multiverse in the first movie, which is not Doctor Strange, than I was in the second one, right? Because, I mean, you know, there's, there's been lots of, I mean, Doctor Strange does a lot of that sort of portal hopping, right? And, you know, all through every movie that he's in. And I don't know that there's a difference between the portal hopping and the multiversing kind of thing like like from that point of view it was it was um it used a different visual effect to sort of let us know when that was happening right and and the causes of it but um it was a bit a bit different in that sense you know kind of uh, almost like the the scene in the matrix where you know when when they flush neo and they, the door opens and they drop him down into the into the wastewater and then they, the door closes and or the thing comes in and nebuchadnezzar comes and pulls him up into the into the light as it were um it was interesting. I mean, uh, I was not prepared for the dynamic of the characters. I was not prepared, like, you know, based on what I'd seen in the uh, in the trailers. Like, trailers really mislead where the story goes, you know? Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, the, the two main characters, not not America, but the other two main characters, um, in terms of what their, their sort of roles were. Um, I did, you know, obviously, as you know, I, I, I missed parts of the movie, but... Um, there were I did go back and like I, I did follow your advice and go read the, the Wikipedia summary, right? And and sort of realize that yes, okay, I did I did remember the sequence of events, but it was a lot easier to follow than everything er- everywhere all at once, right? In terms of like the, the number of leaps and jumps and things like that. Um good movie. I mean, um I don't know if it was better than the original Doctor Strange or, or even the Spider Man one, you know? What do you think? Yeah, I I think it was a two. A, a, a sec, it was a sequel, sort of. It was yeah, right? so they, obviously they don't have to do the origin stuff. They don't have to get you used to the character. You've you've obviously seen him in his first movie. He's been in the Avengers movies. You know who he is, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the Scarlet Witch from One Division is a is a major character in it as well. And they do 
um, they, you know, that is absolutely required watching in order to enjoy this movie. So there's definitely that first moment of you can't not watch the Disney Plus. Like if you didn't watch the Disney Plus and you came from I only watch the movies in the theaters or only watch the movie versions, you would have really no sense of of where we're at with Wanda, what happened with her where she's at and all that stuff. So that was kind of an interesting piece. Well, too. even Scarlet Witch's MacGuffin, like you wouldn't know. Yeah. It's all, it's all tied that to matters. her actions and what happens in, in WandaVision. Right? Yeah. So you, cause it, cause it, to, you know, I'd forgotten for a minute when, when the MacGuffin first appears on the, on the screen scene that, Oh yeah, this wasn't something that was really, really that really happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it, um, it was interesting. Like the movie really sort of, it jumps right in and it's sort of actiony right off the top. And there is a sort of character arc for Stephen Strange, but it doesn't, there's, there's not a lot of breathing room in this movie. There are a few scenes where he gets, you know, a chance to sort of, you know, uh, you know, talk about his feelings and everything else, but it really is a lot about his, you know, trying to solve this problem. It's it's very much more action-y than the first one. It's it's a lot less sort of introspective. And it's interesting because it doesn't really pick up the threads that they dropped from the first one very much. So, and as you say, I mean, it's it's titled The Multiverse of Madness. So, I mean, it's not a leap to, to Spoilerville to say, you know, there's a lot of these stories take place in the multiverse. But that does kind of leave behind everything that we know about him and and you know the familiars and and everything else so yeah it's 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 a good movie i enjoyed it the the part that i kind of struggled with was you know they got they got sam raimi to come and be the director this is his first you know true mcu movie although i suppose in in retcon they've kind of added the the original spider-man trilogy which he directed into the canon now but you know his hallmark was, of course, horror, you know, Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, you know, and then yeah, there yeah, are yeah. certainly moments in there that are very, very much, if you're a fan of those, there's very much moments like that. It sort of straddles this weird line between um, what we've come to know as MCU storytelling and it sort of scrapes the edge of horror. I was trying to think of like how I would lay it. It's, it's a creepy movie at times. There are certainly moments that are like creepy. I don't know that I would go as far as to say it was full on horrific. It was, you know, that there are some, you know. There's some there's some interesting scenes in the middle, especially with, yeah. you know, the, the characters and yeah. what happens to them. Yeah, right? but it's, it's um, but yeah, like, again, I, I would say... If you have the opportunity or if your comfort level is there, it is it is probably a movie best seen on a big screen. The 3D, mm-hmm. which we did see in IMAX 3D presentation, because there is the sort of jumping through gates and portals and, and you know, uh, it is sort of pretty action packed. The 3D was quite good. Uh, I did find that that added, you know, sometimes 3D is just, you know, it's just there for being there. But in this case, I really felt like it added something. So that was, you know, again... If you have the opportunity, it's it, it's worth spending the money on that. But um, yeah, it was really good. it was it was enjoyable. It wasn't. I don't think I would rank it in my you know top. I don't think I'd rank it in my top ten. I got to be honest of of Marvel movies. 
It, but it's somewhere in the middle of the pack. It's not the worst. It's not the best. But it's, you know, it's enjoyable. And, and you know, I think part of the problem is, again, it's a middle movie, right? Like, we know there's going to be more Doctor Strange. So part of it is telling you a good story. And part of it is planting seeds for the MCU. And part of it is planting seeds for more Doctor Strange stories. You're always going to feel a little wanting when you come out of those kinds of experiences. But, yeah, I mean, from beginning to end, it's enjoyable. Benedict Cumberbatch is, is really good. Uh, Rachel McAdams is really good. There's lots of, you know, little Easter eggs and cameos and cool little little tastes for for fans throughout the whole thing um the young woman the the um i, I wrote it down jaime help me america chavez is played by yeah, i had to look up the first name so the last name is gomez that's that's pretty easy for for me the the first name is and this is going to get into weird territory for dealing with like mexico's history but like there are natives yeah. in mexico and then the spaniards came and what we typically think of as being mexican is the the blend between the two cultures right yes but there are definitely people who like are blonde and blue-eyed in mexico because they never mixed with the natives and then there are people who have names like uh Xochitl, uh and i think that's how you pronounce it it's not a, a, a common enough name for cultures that i've run into because yeah. this is like Tenochtitlan and all the other stuff that like, you know, Aztec, Olmec, Maya, yes. I'm not sure their particular background, but this is definitely not a Spaniard name. Yeah. So name. I looked it up and I saw it as Xochitl. Uh, it's X-O-C-H-I-T-L, Gomez. She's American. She's 16 years old. And she is sort of the, you know, the beating heart of the movie. She's this young woman who is in in sort of, you know, dire straits and Doctor Strange is helping her through the through the movie. Um she she doesn't she has a, a growth arc as well, but it wasn't quite as strong as I think I would have liked. You know, like she certainly had some moments, but she she was kind of treated a little bit like an object through the whole thing, which which kind of diminished a little a little bit uh, her. But um, I mean, America Chavez for for people who are are used to her from the comic books is a as again an, an established character. She's got you know some some affiliations and different things without getting too far into Spoilerville. But uh, I I hope that we haven't seen the last of her and uh, and you know I think that there's definitely enough in, in her performance just to grow on and and hopefully see some more of her in the future. As far as Everything, everywhere, all at once, though, I thought mm -hmm. that was exceptional. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a little confusing just <laughs> because it really starts out with a very sort of establishing train. It's, it's, it's actually a decently long movie. It's about two hours and 15 minutes. And, mm -hmm. you know, it feels... At first, it feels a little small. You know, it's about this family and this woman who she and her husband own this laundromat. It has sort of a parasite kind of vibe. Yeah, they, they own a laundromat yeah. and they're they're Chinese Americans, and you know they they have you know they're they're they had emigrated from from China, and so they're still you know working with the language, and they're you know they're still trying to sort of make their American dream come true. It's about their daughter and, and their relationship. And so you're sort of following along and then it sort of starts to take this twist of, oh, there's another layer here, uh, you know, and, and you know, uh, without getting too far into spoilers, but there is a whole sort of multiversal, you know, this woman has lots. It's sort of a secret missionary kind of thing. Yeah, she has all these parallel it. lives and, and there's sort of this, she is this sort of intersection of all these different events and it turns into this very sprawling piece. I, I said to Tim last night, the movie that it reminded me most of was, Sucker Punch, uh, which yeah. I don't know, Jaime, have you seen Sucker Punch? 
Yes. Uh, wow, it's been a minute since that came out, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it certainly has. But if you recall Sucker Punch, the idea is that she is, uh, you know, locked away in a in a uh, uh, facility for for mentally ill people, and uh, this is Emily Browning's character, Baby Doll, and she is finding respite in from herself in there by going to these imaginary worlds. And it's a Zack Snyder film, so it's, you know, she goes into these things and has these, like, crazy, elaborate adventures. It's, all in all, not a great movie at all. Visually, very beautiful, but the plot leaves much to be desired, as does the acting. But the the premise of just sort of the what if, what if your life was different? What if you were a different person? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, that sort of permeates through everything, everywhere, all at once. But adding into that is this beautiful character arc so wonderfully acted by Michelle Yeoh and Kei Kwan, uh, who it was wonderful to see back on screen. Of course, he was uh, Data in the Goonies when he was a child actor. He was Short Round from Indiana Jones, you know, a very famous child actor who had pretty much retired and, and came back to, to work on this. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's a beautifully acted, sweet, thoughtful story mixed in with this very sprawling, visually exciting, interesting... Yeah, it's very, it's very much like a Terry Gilliam movie. From that you, yeah, and you mentioned that last night. I thought that was another apt comparison. It, it does sort of mess with your mind a little bit like a, like a Gilliam movie would. And and again, very rich visually, the way he likes to, to put his movies together. It, it just, it was... Yeah, it was kind of a revelation. You know, I didn't know a lot of what to expect other than I know Michelle Yeoh is a fantastic performer, but it was really, really interesting. And I think it's going to be one of those movies that you're going to want to watch a few times and really sink into and pick up the nuances. You know, there are some scenes that really like she's sort of, you know, uh, jumping in and out of different versions of herself or characters and, and, mm-hmm. you know, their parts of it are animated and there's just, there's all these beautiful little moments that you just kind of want to slow down. You almost want to like put it on half speed and just sort of let it sink in. Cause it's so visually interesting, but to blend those th- two things, like that's so unique nowadays, you know, especially in an era where there's so much formula in storytelling around, you know, these, these MCU movies, the, 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 the sort of big production movies, the avatars, the matrixes, all these different things. This just felt like a breath of fresh air. It was really, really wonderful. I, and I enjoyed yeah. it thoroughly. And, and I, I really hope that, you know, obviously it, it came out in, in April, hopefully by next year, when we're talking about awards, people will, will remember mm. this because I think this was, was really wonderful. Yeah, and it's it's got a really fun part of the the whole kung fu aspect of it, where you know everything, anything you have in your hand becomes a weapon. Yeah, whether it whether it's a a, a fanny pack or a, or a small dog. Um, Jonathan was laughing out loud throughout like several scenes, especially with the small dog. Oh, part. the small dog part killed me. Uh, Jaime, you as a small dog owner will be in tears about the small dogs. We will not spoil <laughs> it, but oh Excellent. my, just my lord, you will you will laugh so hard, Jaime. I cannot wait to hear and your there's, response. There's a whole series. There's a whole series where Michelle Yeoh fights with her pinky fingers. Yes, yeah. 
like you know and, and yeah at one point they show her pinky finger and it's got like it's like it's got biceps uh, uh, yeah. it's got biceps yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh it's again it's and it's funny because it it straddles all these lines at times it is deadly serious and really emotionally affecting at times it is absolutely absurd and nonsensical and you can't help but laugh out loud you know it, it, it it's genuine there are moments there where i you know you almost feel like you're going to well up from the emotion of it and there are times when you just you can't stop laughing because it's so absurd it's it's such a unique movie i uh, yeah, yeah. I, again high I, highest rating i can give it it's it's really worth worth seeing we saw it in a in an okay sized cinema it yeah. obviously wasn't yeah. playing you know dr strange is, is in the biggest theaters at the at the multiplex it wasn't tiny but it was certainly not big i think it was maybe 80 or 90 seats in the in the place so it was you know a modest size theater i would love to have seen that on a on a much more larger spectacle uh event again hopefully maybe it 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 is a slow burn that continues to grow i uh yeah i think it's great so somewhere down the line jaime you'll uh hopefully you'll be able to to um get that one at home yeah, I was mm-hmm. hoping. I was hoping for that. It's not available anywhere. I can't buy it on Amazon or iTunes or anything. It seems like it is not available. Yeah, the Cineplex uh, app here. Uh, so, so when you buy your popcorn and a, and a drink, they will throw in a free digital rental sometimes with your your package. And I so I went to look and sort of see like what's what's available and it's listed as the coming soon. So hopefully it's not too far away from a home appearance because it is quite enjoyable. And uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully it continues to sort of cycle through everyone and everyone gets a chance to watch it. Let's move on to our watch lists. Then I guess you're up first, John. Yeah. I, so I uh, had flagged that Ghostbusters Afterlife, which we've talked about on this uh, before. Obviously, all of us have already seen it, but it is coming to Amazon Prime Canada next week. So uh, I'm definitely going to sit down and watch that one a second time. I I thoroughly enjoyed that one as well. I thought that was uh, one of the better sort of revival movies that Mm -hmm. I've ever seen where they, they pay homage to the past very nicely and respectfully, but really carry it forward i i I thought that was great and i i really want to sit down and and take that one in another time and and sort of see what else i notice as opposed to you know sometimes in the on the big screen and stuff it gets the immensity loses some of the details so yeah i'm looking it was one of the better movies we've seen in the last year two years for sure for sure for sure yeah 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 so glad we saw it here yep so that's on there and uh yeah i'm i'm definitely gonna make some time for that in the next week cool i mean for me i've got a uh, a news article here from Sora News 24, and, and I'll just crush your expectations. This is not a product you can buy. This is a fan-made uh, item, but it is very neat. And if the Pokemon company is listening to this show, you absolutely should make this Pikachu wireless charger for your cell phone, because it is great. So if you can imagine, uh, you know, what I assume to be kind of close to life-size Pikachu, uh, curling up and nestling his 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 face his electric capable face uh wireless chi charging capable face with uh, your phone it's it's great i'm like man i want this i want to have this on my desk so i can uh can charge my stuff i got a i got a wireless charger i gotta throw it out the window and use this pikachu instead I know. <laughs> it's cute cool uh my other right. thing is i uh was uh finishing up uh peacemaker on on uh hbo max uh, I guess that's kind of a shadow pick here, uh, but you know, folks have talked about this on the show before. 
also verified that Matrix Resurrections is back on HBO Max. And they even put a little, uh, you know, advertising caption for it of like, it's back. I'm like, good. So I guess we've, we've figured out the, the, the limits there on, you know, it was there in December. It was away for a few months and it, I believe, is back as part of the regular rotation. It's coming to something soon for Grave. us too, John. Yeah, so we we Grave. talked about it on the episode that uh, that Jaime and I did while you were uh, away on vacation that 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 it's right. coming to Crave. I think it's next week as well. So yeah, that'll be good because I I didn't get to see that. I know you both both of you already have, but I haven't had a chance to catch up with that one yet. Cool. All right. And uh, so I um, my my one's pretty quick. I finally got around to listening to. I've I've had this book on my Audible. Um, app for a long time um artemis which is the book by um what's his name now andy weir mm-hmm. the follow-up to the martian um but this is it was read by everybody's favorite uh ex jedi rosario dawson mm-hmm. yeah i listened to the yeah. audiobook of that uh, as well she's wonderful in it like the performance is great yeah i was a bit a bit weirded out about the story in in terms of like um how the character i mean it's been around for years so i guess we can spoil it a little bit but um, you know, the, the sort of adventure she gets up to and, and, you know, how, what she does in this thing, I'm like, I'm surprised they didn't throw her away or deport her off the moon is what they should have done. Right. But yeah. I mean, just, I, I just couldn't as, as the protagonist in the story, I couldn't, I couldn't justify her actions. Right. So anyway, that's me, you know, but yeah, it was enjoyable. I thought I, I, I figured if you hadn't, if you hadn't listened to it yet, John, you probably would just because it's very Dawson. Oh, again, I listened <laughs> to her read the phone book. She's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you. Where will they find you? Uh, you can find me curled up in the fetal position, crying uh, huge tears for once again being a Leafs fan like a sucker. Or you can check me out online and Instagram and uh, Twitter at, at, as, at JP News. Right. And I'm it. I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right. And my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. I gotta watch uh, Ozark. <laughs> oh yeah, that's finally done, eh? The, the last chunk. Yeah. Well, I just I just binged the first uh, six episodes of the first half of Better Call Saul. So yeah. Yeah, I'm. This I still didn't finish last season, and and I love that show. So I, I'm definitely behind. I need to catch up. Yeah, well, they're 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 showing them one week at a time. It's funny because I started watching it on Amazon Prime. They put the first episode up on there. 
And then if you want to watch it on Prime, they want you to, to open up a, a second subscription. Like, what? And uh, But then I found out that it's on the Rogers Video On Demand thing, so I watched it from there. But the problem with the Video On Demand is that, you know, if you start watching it, you it, they turn off all the VCR controls, so you have to sit there yeah. and watch it. And you can, you can fast forward through some of the commercials, but not all of them. But what I found was really annoying was if I stop it and go have dinner or something like that and forget to go back to the PVR, it, it sort of resets itself after like 15 minutes or something. And so I had to watch the episode from the very beginning again, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you have to dedicate 40 minutes or an hour or whatever, how long each episode really is and, and watch it that way. Or uh, like I have not, cause I didn't realize it had started again. So I've, I've set my PVR now to, to, to watch to record it on Monday nights. Right. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been keeping up with that season six has been, has been pretty good. It'd be interesting to see how it goes to the, uh, to the finale here. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's going to be in two parts, right? I think they are because they were promoting the mid-season finale. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, come on, guys, stop doing that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I don't need your final season to be like a trilogy or anything. I just need it to be, you know, ten to thirteen. I forget how many episodes they normally do uh, straight weeks. Yeah. Well, I, th I think they're doing this because I, I, the sense I get is because of the pandemic, because of production challenges and stuff like that, and. Like, one thing I was going to say about the Everything Everywhere All at Once um, production was, it seemed to me like these actors were in a bubble, right? Because um, it must it's have been made... Cast, in, more or less, yeah. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, like there wasn't sort of... There wasn't, like, scenes where there were, like, masses of people in, in walking mm, in streets. Mm. And so it was all done, like, within... Actually done within an office, really, right? If you think about it, mm. right? Because it was supposed to be in the IRS office, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, that was kind of, kind of interesting. They, like, yeah, there's a laundromat, their home, and then the this irs office oh can we talk about what a treasure uh james hong is the guy who plays oh the dad. holy cow my god yeah. that guy's been around for so long and done so many amazing roles in his career i, I understand he just got a, a star on the hollywood walk of fame last week and man yeah. is that mm. ever deserved james hong is a treasure yeah well even in this movie he because because it's a multiverse he doesn't play one character he plays the same character but in different iterations right yeah and he's wonderful again he's just yeah. uh, i was flashing back when he when i saw him pop up like oh my god james hong and then as he's going through yeah. this part i was like you know it feels like i'm trying to think of like the first time i saw james hong is like 40 years ago he, he's incredible you can't go yeah. back in time that far he's he's been in hollywood for a very long time as like we need an Asian dude. Great. Yeah. Call up James Hong. He yeah. is. Yeah. He's played every possible nationality and ethnicity when it comes to Asia. And it is just amazing. His career. Yeah. Oh, I mean, talk about a legendary IMDb. I'm just going there right now to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my all time favorite is, is, and uh, is, and always will be uh big, uh, big trouble in little China. Right. I was going to say, this is the first thing that came up. His, his top movies are, are, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Kung Fu Panda, yep. Kung Fu Panda 2, and Blade Runner. Yeah, of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. I make your mm -hmm. eyes. Make you eyes. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's great. And it's, yeah, so nice to see him uh, continuing to work. I mean, again, he's, he's what? He's got to be in his late 80s. Oh, let's see. He was born 29. So, yeah, he's... Uh, that 93, as like Google yeah. says. Yeah. Incredible. He's a year younger than my mother. Yeah. Good for him. Big Bang Theory... Wow. Yeah. As I said, I, I saw last week that he Super rocket monkey team. He got his, uh, his star in the Hollywood walk of fame. I was like, man, nobody has worked as hard to get a star in the Hollywood walk of fame as James Hong. Okay. I'm still scrolling. I'm at nineties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's had such a long career. I had to Google James Hong young because 
to me it's <laughs> like it's like he was born you know elderly like like b yeah. arthur right b yeah. arthur was just like forever old because her career was so yeah. long i had no concept of what she looked like as a young person Still scrolling. I'm in, for heaven's sake one of the pictures i see is him in wayne's world because he was tia carrera's dad he was and, yeah and uh he's already like an older gentleman by that point so absolutely yeah well he even goes back to mod speaking of b arthur yep well, there you go. That's how your universe is collided. I mean, he was on a show with B. Arthur, Darsky and Hutch <laughs> when they were both young. Is that how far that's, a, that's a pull. <laughs> no, they were never young. He was on the original SWAT. He was on. Uh, wow, he goes way back. Canon. That was. A, you guys probably don't know. Don't even know what Canon is. I've heard of it. It was a show in the seventies, right? Yeah. Hawaii um, Five O. No, that's Chinatown. That's an old. That's like oh, that's um, a great movie. I don't. I don't remember him in that. But uh, yeah, he's. He was on the Bob Newhart show, John. The original. Oh, nice. Probably as a patient, I guess. Right. Yeah. Mission Impossible. Wow. The Bill Cosby Show. That's old. Still scrolling. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in the '60s. Iron Horse. Okay. Now. Now we're we're getting really really sort of further further back here because these are. I dream of Genie. Oh my God. I Man from Uncle. There you go. Wow. Still going. The word in the black and white. Perry Mason. We're in black wow. and whites now. Yeah. General Hospital. <laughs> like I said, oh, an wagon train. Absolute icon. And wow. and his sci-fi bona fides alone get him get him into the Hall of Fame, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Bonanza. Holy oh, cow. Geez. So going. Johnny Ringo. Yeah. Nineteen fifty nine we're talking here now. Wow. Zorro. Peter Gunn. Peter Gunn, there you go. Dragnet. That's old. Yeah. But I think Jaime nailed it, right? Like, there was a time where they were like, we need a person of unidentifiable Asian heritage. Call James Hong. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking I'm at sure stuff. I'm probably like, some politically incorrect. Uh, like he's played team. Chinese characters, uh, Japanese characters, uh, Vietnamese characters, I think. Maybe Korean characters. I'm just looking at like character names and, and kind of assigning what I think an ethnicity might be. I'm like, yeah, they, they say we need an Asian dude. James Hong's available. Great. Sign him. <laughs> Right, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The oldest movie I recognize that he was in is called Love is a Many, Many Splendored Thing. Yeah. With yeah. William Holden. Wow. That's going to like 1955. Oh, jeez. He's been acting longer than I've been alive. Yeah. He's been acting longer than my mom's been alive. And yeah, it's true. Well, about, about this. Yeah. Crazy. I, uh, the- Chinese, his role is Chinese officer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All, all the bellboy, soldier, yep. lots of Chinese names. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. Can you imagine how much BS that man has had to deal with in his life? Yes. Like, totally. I, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, legend, legend. Uh, the other show that I should have mentioned on the, the watch list, I watched, the, they had the season finale of uh, Winning Time. Winning Time, the uh, HBO series on the the Lakers from the 1980s. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. first 10 episodes of Wrapped. So season one is Wrapped. Uh, the last episode was up on Sunday. Is that is that a made, is that a, like a retelling? Or it's it's based footage? on a book, and they certainly, it's Adam McKay. So if you've ever seen like Vice or any of Adam McKay's movies, um, oh, what's it called? The, the one, it's not The Candidate, what's it called? But he... Um, he does it in sort of a documentary style, so it almost looks like it was filmed at the time. People are talking to the camera like they're being filmed for like a, a you know posterity. Mm-hmm. 
And some of it looks like it was original footage, and some of it looks like it was like made to look like original footage. It's a really interesting visual style. It's sort of a mix of comedy and and drama, and you know, obviously there's sports mixed in there. But it's it uh, it takes some liberties for sure. For sure, there are some like questionable factual. Uh, stuff in there but it's really enjoyable like the performances are super great the people that got to play the different famous you know jerry bus and magic johnson and kareem and all these sort of very famous parts like it's it's a really enjoyable watch again don't don't watch it thinking you're getting an accurate you know note for note presentation but as far as capturing that sort of time in california what it was like the the cocaine the girls the the you know sexual revolution you know coming out of the 70s it's uh it's a really fun watch Mm. John cool. C. Riley is is playing Jerry Buss, Dr. Jerry Buss, the the owner of the team, and it starts with him basically buying the team and having this grand vision for how they could really make something out of the NBA, and and he's he's so much fun. He's so great in it. He's just this. He's both disgusting and smarmy, and also really likable. It's really really great performance because you're you're both revolted by his behavior and yet find him incredibly charming. Which is, as I'm I led to understand by reading a lot, that that's kind of what Jerry Buss was like, extraordinarily charming, but also uh, not exactly uh, down with modern behavior or treatment of of people. Wow. Hey, you know what? My friend Rick that. Went to university with. Mm. I just, I'm just scrolling through here. I just happened to come, come across this page. He was actually in. I didn't even know this myself. He was actually in Rush Hour. He was in Supergirl, the movie or the TV show. No, the TV show. Well, that makes sense. Movie. Again, he's Canadian content, right? And Runaways. Oh. No, he's, he's he lives in LA now. Oh, he's American. Hmm. Yeah, he was in the Runaways for several shovel episodes. Hmm. Um, like I, I first saw, like I hadn't seen him when I first, he was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I, I have a card. I remember seeing him in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Cause I, uh. Yeah. He gave me a card signed with card. He said, I'm an, I'm a jerk on the, on the back of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause I said something about him on a podcast. It wasn't really favorable. <laughs> um, he was on Star Trek Enterprise. So this guy's been around. Yeah. You know, Files. famous people. I know. Well, I do know famous people, but that's what I, um, Cool. He's on the Weird Al show. Love the wow, Weird Al. There show. you go. Huh? I love the Weird Al show. He was also he was on War of the Worlds as well. Um, but he was on uh, he was on Conan a lot. He played Donald Trump on Conan. Believe it or not. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. You know how the Conan does those sort of vignette yeah, things, yeah, yeah. Those stories, and some of those. I know he acted with Clint Eastwood once. So that's pretty. I think that's pretty cool. Yep. Like in a in an Eastwood movie. Yep. Cool. Neat. Nito, I do know famous people. Well, like I said, the first time I ever saw him after university was in Short Circuit 2. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, it was in, in Toronto. Filmed at, filmed at the Eaton Center. Yep. Yeah, that's another one of those movies where you're like, been there, been there, been there, been there, been there, been there. Been there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, yo. All right, well, I guess the Leafs still have one more game to go. I'm going to go and yep. drown my sorrows and get my arse to bed because uh, I have to get up at yeah. some ungodly hour of the morning. To- and we have to watch uh, Primus tomorrow. But in, and you saw Lights, what's her name? Lights? The one you yeah, we saw her last week? weekend, Saturday. Where was that at? History, the new club down at uh, Woodbine and Queen. That's the one that Drake owns, uh, or co-owns. Is that near us? Like, um, It's not far from where David used to live down there, just off the edge of Leslieville yeah, and the, the beaches. beaches yeah. The beaches, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. 
Yeah, it's uh, you know where the movie theater is down there, down at Woodbine. Yeah. It's in the same yeah. plaza. Oh, really? Yeah. So when you, yeah, you park in the same spot that you park for the movies. You park to go to that club. Is it a big, big venue? Like compared to like Stanford? It's bigger. It's 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 actually it's something the city really needed. It's about twenty five hundred capacity. Mm. There is nothing else like that. everything else like that closed. The warehouse closed. All those different places closed that were sort of that size. The government. Yeah. yeah mm. So all that stuff that sort of filled that need had had shut down. So it really does kind of fill a niche where. Some of the artists that come to the Danforth are just a little too big for the Danforth, and so it's hard to get tickets, and sometimes it's a little, uh, yeah. you know, a little cramped. So, yeah, it's it's nice, t- and it's brand new. Like, they just built the whole thing, so it's modern, it's clean, it's easy to get in and into and out of. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit away from the core, so it's not quite as, like, crowded a neighborhood, but there's stuff you can, like, go get a beer before or after, too. So it's, yeah, it's good. I like it. Um. Yeah, actually, Gordon and I are going to go see um, Tash Sultana, the the musician, in uh, beginning of July there too. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more shows there because it's really nice. Eight. All right, Jets. Yeah, you probably talk to you soon. Till next time. Bye. 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 Bye.